You're listening to the She's Unshakable podcast. I'm your host, Fleur Lonsdale. And if you're looking to create incredible courage, resilience, and unshakable belief in yourself, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, I'll be interviewing incredible adventurers, athletes, and entrepreneurs to dig deep into the strategies and tools they use to create unwavering courage and belief so that you can learn how to never give up on your goals and achieve the life of your dreams. Today I get to introduce you to Sarah Butler. Sarah is a skate trainer and coach and she's a former athlete who competed in the Skate World Championships. Now she talks us through her story of challenges and troubles throughout her teenage life and being an athlete and the pressure that it has on your mind and your body and everything else that goes in between. She opens up very vulnerably about this story and so if you know someone that this might help please share it with them so that they can hear and listen and learn from her journey and everything that has come from it too. Welcome, Sarah. I'm super excited to have you on our podcast today and cannot wait for you to open up and share a bit of your story as well, because I know that it's going to help some of our listeners um, and hopefully lots of people around the world to understand what what goes on and what can happen, um, especially as an athlete. So I'd love for you to um, first off introduce yourself, but also my favorite question is what's your morning routine and how do you set yourself up in the mornings? Hey, yeah. Um, Thank you so much for having me on here. I feel very excited to be a part of this. Um, My name is Sarah. I am a roller skater and roller skating coach. Um, My mornings are pretty much dictated by my (laughs) three-month-old. So I generally get woken up for a feed and then domestic chores, doing some washing. Um, He'll maybe go down and have a play. And um, I'm doing a lot of stuff on social media at the moment, so I tend to use that small little quiet time to post some skating tutorials or um, chat to some of the kids that I, I mentor overseas. So, yeah, that's kind of my morning that sounds like a busy morning (laughs) it is it's productive it it gives me good momentum to keep going through the day and you know what I love the fact that you're like multitasking mum right now like I can hear him in the background and it's just I love that it's so cute it's amazing see what you can do as a mum no excuses mums out there you can listen in and take take notes Um, (laughs) yeah I want to bring him along with me every step of the way so this is just one part yeah it's wicked so why don't you tell um, our listeners a little bit about your backstory, how you got into skating, um, mm-hmm. you know, what that's been for you and where you are now. Cool. Um, I started skating at six. Um, my parents took all of us, so my myself and my siblings, down to a skating rink and I fell in love with it straight away. Um, my, my story with skating isn't exactly the nicest of journeys, but it does have a very, very special end now. Um, I went through quite a bit of trauma as a child, and so it made me quite fragile as I started skating. Um, and it meant that I didn't really have much of a, a personal value, much self-worth, so I used to use... Ooh, that would be tied to a finished feeding. <laughs> I used skating very much as um, my sense of self-worth. I felt like I was good at it. I loved it. So I just put so much emphasis into trying to be the best skater that I could. And so I trained for many years. And then at 15, I made the Junior Worlds team. And this was a really big accomplishment for myself. I'd been making steps to finally be that successful athlete that I wanted to be. And during the competition, um, certain people on my team made what they thought were quite harmless comments about my eating habits. And then coupled with 
comparison of my height and stature to that of the world champions who are easily a head shorter than me, I just developed this complex that I was too big to be a skater. I, w- I would never achieve because my I was just too big. It, it wasn't going to happen. And so um, I started turning to disordered eating to try and solve my problem. And I thought this would fix everything, but it actually became really like the beginning of a very dark time in my life. I became very ashamed of the way that I looked because I just didn't think I was the right size or shape to do the thing that I I loved most to be able to skate. And so um, my disordered eating became a very dangerous eating disorder. I started self-harming. I was severely depressed and at points very suicidal. I was so anxious because I, I, I just couldn't deal with all of this internalized pressure. And even though skating was the thing that was causing all of my emotional turmoil at this point, I just, I just wanted to skate. And so I, I kept going. I, I kept pushing to try and find some kind of worth as an athlete. And so um, I, I kept skating. I started preparing for my second world championship. So I would have been 16 at this point. And um, I, I started to make this connection that all of my life, everyone in the skating community used to talk about how the standard in Australia was so poor. And the, there was this term thrown around that all of our skaters went to Worlds and they failed. And I started to realize that I was the world skater now, which meant that I was that failure. And that that was the point where I think I just I broke. It was like, even though skating was the one thing that made me happy, I used it as a sense of success. And if I was now a failure, then I wasn't skating. I didn't have any self-worth. So I, I wasn't actually good at skating. I, I felt like I had no value. Um so my anxiety just spiraled, and for the rest of my international career, I just became increasingly terrified of people watching me skate because I felt like I was being judged. I was that failure. And I remember it got to this point where I could be the only person in an entire venue, and I wouldn't be able to make myself jump for fear of someone walking in and seeing me because they'd see that I was a failure. Anyways, through all this pain and anxiety, I kept feeling like I was so worthless, but I still had this love to skate. And so I I kept going um, because it gave me that small sense of happiness. So I kept competing, and um, I, I, which meant that I had to hide all of my struggles because I felt I had to portray this persona of a successful international athlete, even though I really wasn't coping. And I skated three more years. I did two more world championships within this headspace. Um, the whole way through believing that I wasn't good enough, but still trying to gain some kind of, um, I guess, success. And um, moving on to 2017, a few weeks prior to the Australian Championships that year, there was an incident at my home rink with another skater. And um, even though this skater was physically trying to endanger me on the rink, the club chose to protect them because I was 20, so I was an adult, and they were 17, so they were a child. So I got sent in circles by the club. I was forced to sign a contract that was meant to protect me so I could get to nationals and go back to Worlds and and earn my sense of self. And um, all of a sudden there were false accusations that incriminated me. I had no proof. Um, They had no proof either. And the individual who had a reputation of endangering skaters and was endangering me was being being protected. And I was like, well, these five years of fulfilling this role of trying to do everything I could to be the best international athlete and a role model – it, it wasn't worth anything because no one stood up for me. And, you know, I wasn't even going to be able to get to nationals at this point. So I wasn't going to get to Worlds. And it just felt like my skating got taken from me. So I just quit. And I um, I pulled out of nationals and I booked a ticket to New Zealand. And I went to a place called Parihaka, which is very special in my family. And, and I just stood there and I cried <laughs> for like five to ten minutes because it was the first time I ever remember my life feeling 100% at peace because I didn't have expectation. So I couldn't fail. I was just at peace. 
So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I moved to Auckland. And whilst I was there, I, I, I met a friend of mine um, who was a New Zealand skater. Her name's Makona. And she convinced me to start coaching. And through coaching, I found a completely new love for my sport, for skating, and one which didn't require me to fulfill someone else's expectations, but one where I could skate just because I loved it. So I basically got taken in by the Auckland skating community, and I was made to feel so welcome and appreciated, even though I was very unfit at this point. I I wasn't training, um, and I was very emotionally broken. And I started trying to train again. Mac and I ran workshops together. I competed in the national championships. I decided to make steps to overcome my anxiety and I entered into the America's Cup in 2019 knowing I wasn't in prime physical condition, but I just wanted to start making steps to overcome this fear of failure and the anxiety I had around competition. And um, as I walked onto the opening ceremony with the New Zealand team, the Australian team very loudly started yelling that I was a traitor. Um, which was, yeah, really hard to deal with. It was so hurtful because it was like the second reminder for me that I wasn't good enough because now when I was really trying to skate for myself, I was now apparently betraying a system that didn't even really look after me in the first place. And, yeah, so I managed to skate okay. I achieved some some big goals for myself. Um, I managed to skate without a panic attack, which was a massive thing for me at that point. But I realized that I wasn't ready to do this again. I had only just started to really love my skating, you know, after such a a traumatic Mm -hmm. time. And I wasn't going to let that be taken away from me again. So I put competition aside and I, I, we got back home to Auckland and then out of nowhere, this turning point came in my life. I felt pregnant and um, I was suddenly forced into a position where I actually had to start placing value on myself and my well-being, or else I was going to lose my baby. And I did have a few scares throughout pregnancy just because of his position. And um, so I started putting value into my food. I started putting value into my mental health. And most importantly, I stopped trying to please everyone else around me. And I started to try and nurture what truly made me happy. And as crazy as it was, after all of this, it was still skating. It was just, it was my passion. I couldn't deny it. And so I made a plan. I was going to have my baby. I was going to give, give it one last go. And so I'm now three months postpartum. Um, I am now living in Melbourne, I, which is where I grew up. I'm coaching a group of amazing kids here. I help out with my kids back in Auckland. Um, I started studying again and I've actually started my own journey to get back on skates and one day get back to worlds. But this time I'm not allowing people to, define my success I'm going to do it to fulfill my own personal aspirations and I think it's just this whole situation situation has made me so determined to do what makes me happy and and I just I want to skate it's everything I want to do so I'm gonna give it another go (laughs) and that's my skating story (laughs) that's um that's a pretty intense story I I don't know if I was I don't know, I guess I wasn't expecting to get into it so quickly. <laughs> like I said, but, I was kind of excited for this because I've bottled all of this in for, oh, I, it would be almost eight years now. I've never spoken out about it. And as, as I started coaching, I started seeing all of these kids showing signs of anxiety and depression and eating disorders and nothing was being done about it. And I was like, I don't want these kids to land up in the mess that I was. I mean, not many kids do go to the international levels, but still it can have such yeah. a big negative impact but sport and skating can have such a beautiful impact as well I mean I'm 23 and I still nothing makes me happier by time um of than being on skates and I just want to nurture the beauty of the sport as opposed to letting people be destroyed by it because I'm not the only person like this I know so many people that have had similar situations because there was no one there to support us so um yeah it's just 
it's made me more passionate about skating and more determined to protect the next generation the best that I can. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, especially, I mean, not essentially, especially these days, but I think we're more aware of it these days that it it does go on a lot more. And although I still don't think it's spoken about, I think more people are open to, to understanding that there is something else going on and, you know, asking the right questions to see, you know, if they can help or whatever it might be. But, um, it's pretty crazy, really, when you... So you you started when you were six, and you did your first yeah. competition when you were 15. Oh, no, I, I started competing at a lower level at seven. Oh, right, sorry, so but you I did your first Worlds. <laughs> you did your first Worlds when you were 15. Yeah. Right. And when yeah. do you think this, like... When do you think it sort of became apparent to you that you wanted or needed to be something that you weren't my first worlds when when you start aiming for your first world championships um there's often quite frank discussions about the expectation of international athletes and you know you're now the person everyone looked up to and I took that really to heart I felt like I had to be the the role model for these kids because I was now the person that I was looking up to at six years old when I decided I wanted to go to Worlds. And so I had to be perfect. I had to have everything under control. I had to skate well. I had to be there for everyone. And and that meant giving up, taking care of myself. It was more about everyone else. It wasn't about me anymore. And and so what what made that sort of develop into you know, a lack of self-worth rather than sort of empowering yourself to go, you know what, this is my position, I can show other kids, like where you are now, essentially. What do you think the shift was? Do you, do you remember a point in, like a specific moment in time where, like I'll give you an example of, of when I when I was younger, um, I used to dance a lot, I used to do a lot of ballet um, and it was something that I had got into um, at a young age, I'd say maybe even like three or four or something. And one of my um, friends who I had grown up with wanted to be, you know, a professional dancer. She wanted to be on stage. I wasn't too bothered. It wasn't something that I wanted to do, but I really enjoyed dancing. And I'd got to, you know, a fairly high grade. And um, we were doing points at the time or getting into points. And my ballet teacher just turned around and she said to me, you know what? you're not going to get anywhere in ballet, you may as well kind of stop trying kind of thing. Like, you don't have the right body shape for it. You're not going to be a professional. Like, why are you kind of still here? And I I can't remember how old I was, but I'd say maybe around 15, um, maybe slightly younger, maybe even slightly older. And I was just a bit like, whoa, like, who even said I wanted to be a professional? Who even said that I wanted to to do this I'm just doing it because it's because it's fun but she basically mm. said to me like why are you even why are you even bothering being here you don't have the right body shape for this your you know your bums and thighs are way too big to be a ballerina you might as well stop bothering <laughs> oh, and um my goodness that was it like I quit right then mm. and I went back home and I sort of said to my mum hmm, this is what she said to me so I don't well at the time, I was like, well, I don't want to go back there. Like, not only do I not want to be in a room where someone has the right to even say that to you as a child, mm. but, 
Like, you know, I was just like, hang on, this isn't right. And um, so I'm just wondering, was there a moment in time where someone said something or someone did something that sort of made you rethink things? Yeah, now that I think about it, there actually was. I mean, when I started skating, I was just doing it for fun. And then I found out that there was this thing called a world championships. And like immediately, I've always been a goal-driven human. I was just like, I want to do this. I want to go to Worlds. <laughs> and then somewhere along this line, I don't even remember when it happened. I, I know I was quite young at the time. I don't know where it came from. But I remember someone telling me that, oh, oh Australian girls, they don't do triples. They don't land triples. You know, we we, we, we we can't do that. And I was just like, watch me. Just watch me. I'm going to yeah. do it. I'm going to go to Worlds and I'm going to land triples. And so that was, I just kept pushing. And because I was getting quite good at it, I was like, this is my thing. This is what I'm good at. This is where I'm going to get the, the success in my life. And then it was when I got to Worlds and I felt like I was finally getting there. I was, I was working on triples. I was working on all of these big aspirations and things that I was told I wouldn't be able to do. And it was just the pressure because it wasn't about me achieving my goals. It was about me being the, the expect, me fulfilling expectations that other people had on me of being at Worlds instead of my own. And I, I just couldn't cope. It was like I didn't have control over my own skating anymore. Right. Okay. So it was almost it was almost coming down to the expectation of what you needed to to be, rather than just mm. doing you and having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I don't think it was ever. I think I probably internalized it a lot as well. But there was never a point where I felt like I could just go to worlds and be myself. I had to be what everyone wanted me to be. I wasn't allowed to have opinions. I wasn't allowed to speak up for myself or stand up for myself. I had to do what I was told. And so it just became, a, well, if I'm not allowed to be myself, I'm not allowed to stick up for myself, I'm not allowed to do what I want, well, then obviously I must therefore fulfil what everyone else wants, otherwise they won't let me get back to worlds again. And it just it just spiralled. <laughs> right. And did you, I'm just curious, did you speak to anyone about, any of this at all when, when like it was sort of going on like your coach or your parents or your family or anything like that I hit it very well I got caught out um my my coaches I would have been about 15 I think it was probably after my first world championships and when I started to really feel the pressure and um they found scars on me and they sat me down and we had the conversation and then you know, we started making steps. My parents found out that was a horrible time because I had hit it so well. Like I just didn't yeah. want anyone to know because I just felt like that would make me even more worthless if people realized that I couldn't cope with the pressure. And, um, yeah, th- I think steps were made to try and help me, but this sport, we don't get funding. We don't get paid to do it. So the coaches are under so much pressure to be not just your coach, but your, your physiotherapist your nutritionist your strength and conditioning coach your your psychologist and that was too much for any one coach to take on and so my coach she was amazing she did everything she could for me but I I still just I couldn't cope and you know if I was going to go to see a psychologist or do extra training that meant more money from my parents fueled straight into the sport that was actually not helping me it was giving me problems or I guess exacerbating problems that I already had and so it was just there was, there was no support not even just for me but for my coach 
you know, she she didn't have yeah. all of those people at their fingertips because the system wasn't designed to support anyone. Um, and and then you'd get to worlds, and and if you didn't perform or you didn't do well, you know, people higher up would come over. And I remember 2017, I had just gotten off the floor, and I got told that I was unfit, and I needed a nutritionist. I needed to be doing more strength training. You know, I didn't do well, and I was saying like, but but I thought I did okay. But it just got ripped from me straight away because I, I wasn't what they wanted me to be. Um, and I just think that we need to f- create a system where we don't just, yes, develop and protect our skaters. Our coaches need more support. They need to have a team of people that are going to help them bring out the best in their skaters. And, and it's not it's not implemented yet. But um, I'm lucky I have a great team of people. And I work with um, people that are physiotherapists. I work with people that have science degrees, exercise science degrees. And now I'm trying to work to have more knowledge in the area of nutrition and fulfill that that part of the team so that we, even if we're working across the Tasman between Australia and New Zealand, we're actually fest, like fostering our skaters. We're, we're nurturing them in every way. And we can nurture each other as coaches. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know what? I, I don't even think it's, it's not obviously not just not just skating this is every sport realistically oh, like, 100% it's yeah whenever you get into a high stakes or high competition role like you I mean you can see the pressure especially like you know you look at the Olympics you can feel the pressure even just watching it on television like you you don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand the amount of pressure that athletes have been are on essentially even if they love what they're doing there's yeah. still an insane amount of pressure there um yeah, and I, th- but I think when you have a sport that's not as common, there's no funding behind it. So, like, we would be going to Worlds and working two full-time jobs just to pay for it. So yeah. we were at an greater disadvantage because we had no way of earning money from it. We just really wanted to do it, and we had to to prioritize work over training at points just so we could actually get to the competition. Yeah, yeah, and, I mean, mm-hmm. I hear that a lot, especially within not just female sport, but you know, the sports that aren't the sort of mainstream sports that still cost a ton of money, like um, (laughs) Jenny, who I had on a podcast, who does all the kite snow kiting and kiting competitions. And she basically pays for that herself, too. And it's it, it adds yeah. up. It's it's not cheap at all. And not at all. You know, you, and it's an extra pressure. Yeah, it is. It is, especially if you want to win, you know, to make the money back, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah well we don't we don't get prizes if we win <laughs> oh really there's no prize money no nothing <laughs> oh so you're really doing it so, for the love <laughs> yeah literally and you know we we compete against countries that are well m- far more established and people that can actually coach or skate full-time that's their job and and yeah. we don't have that luxury here sure yeah. um so yeah can be a bit overwhelming <laughs> Yeah, I remember when I used to work on the on the boats and we had a race crew and we worked with a couple of Olympian sailors and they were from Croatia and they were the same. They didn't really have much funding in Croatia and it was far harder for them to, you know, basically get to where a lot of other countries are because the other countries have got yeah. so much funding. It's an interesting Definitely. world, like the athlete world, especially worldwide, is I honestly think it's more of a, a political game than it is anything else. So much, <laughs> so much. And it, just, it just kind of makes you think, why Like, why am I even doing this for my country? Why am I not just doing this for myself to enjoy and have yeah. fun and 
grow essentially like that's the best thing about sport is that it makes you grow it makes you develop and it can develop you into an amazing person which I mean clearly it has but you've had to go through a lot of trauma to get there too right yeah definitely but I think I'm grateful that I'm in the place now and I I honestly never thought I'd get there but I'm in a place now where I'm so grateful for everything like all of the the horrible experiences because I wouldn't be here today I wouldn't have been forced to move countries or feel feel like I was forced to to move somewhere else I I didn't I would have never had time and he's the thing that really changed my life so I'm grateful for everything and I just I think I choose to try and use my experience to prevent it happening to anyone else as best I can yeah absolutely so I'd love to know, like, what was the, what was your sort of turnaround moment, the moment where you had, where you sort of said to yourself, you know, this, this is enough, this is, this can't go any further, this needs to change, like, I need to change? Um, I think to, to finally stop competing, it was definitely that situation um, with another skater at the rink, like, I, I felt like even if I wanted to keep skating, it was going to be taken from me. And I was like, I can't keep doing this to myself. I'm like, I'm not coping in any way. And this isn't just affecting me. It's affecting my family because I wasn't in a good place. I was struggling and, um, I just, I had enough. And I just remember I I left the rink one day and I went to my dad and I was like, I want to go home. And he's like, you are home. You were born here. It's like, no, I want to go to New Zealand. (laughs) So, I wanted, my parents are from New Zealand. I wanted to go to the place that to me made sense as being home. That's where we're from. And so I was like, no, I, I, I don't want it. I don't want this anymore. I want to start putting myself first. And it just so happened that when I got to Auckland, I still landed up somehow in the skating world because I just couldn't get away from it. It was the thing that I love most, but I needed a different environment. I needed a chance to do it for myself without all the pressure. And I, I got that in Auckland and I'm so grateful for it. Yeah, it's amazing where life takes you when you're yeah. when you're sort of ready to listen, hey. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you're just okay, let's do something, let's go. Um yeah. I'd love to know like what do your how I mean, obviously parents and family play a big part in what goes on in our life and how it's mm. you know, how it rolls out. I'd love to know what, what how have they been there um for you or you know, how did did they help or was there anything that, that they managed? I'm just thinking like if we, if for parents out there who might be listening to this, you know, mm. how could we help a child who we might see going through this? Like, what would you have, what maybe would have helped you? or What did your parents do to help? Or is, you know, have you got mm. any advice for that? My parents were amazing. They, they did everything they could to give me every opportunity in their life. They both came from nothing and they, they moved to Australia to try and have a better life for themselves and when they met, have a better life for us. And so they knew how much my skating meant to me and they would just do anything. Like if I wanted to go to a seminar to learn more, if I needed a new pair of skates, my dad would pick up an extra shift just so he could pay for it. And they, I remember for one world championships, um, I decided last minute that I was going to go and I, I called my dad and he, he hung up on me and then he called me back. He's like, all right, sweet. I just taken out a loan. You're going to worlds. Like they, wow. they did everything they could. But the problem was, is that whilst they were trying to fund my dream, they also knew that skating was having such a negative effect on my life. So they were torn because they wanted to support me, but 
they also hated it because it was it, to them they just saw me being ruined by a sport ruined by the thing I loved most and um yeah so they they tried to be as supportive as they could but they they didn't want to be in the ring they didn't want to be surrounded by it. they didn't want to have to I guess witness how much I was going through, but they chose to support me in every other way. So, you know, they, they paid for so much money for me to do this and they, they supported me in every way they could. It was just, it was a hard situation because I was a very determined child and I was going (laughs) to skate. (laughs) I was going to do this and, you know, they were stuck with, well, are we going to stop her from doing the thing she loves most in the world? Or are we going to just grit our teeth and try and support her in the only way we can? And they, they chose that path. And I'm, I now having a child I can't even imagine how hard it would have been for them I mean at one point in the middle of my international career my mum quit all of her jobs because she didn't know if she was going to wake up and I was going to be alive and I I can't even imagine what that would have been like for her um and yeah she just they did everything that they could but it was an impossible situation um but yeah I'm just so grateful that they they are always still supporting me, even to this day, always still supporting me in everything I do. They always told me that I could achieve anything I wanted. Um, I think they kind of wish now that I hadn't chosen such ridiculous, ridiculously big goals, but um, I'm very, very lucky to have my parents. You can't, I mean, you're their blood, right? So, I mean, yeah. your, your goals and your drive has come from one of them. <laughs> mm. And it's just hard because they're just so torn. They want to help and then they see me get upset and then they don't want me to be there. They want me to quit, but then they see that I still want to keep going. And it's just, it was an emotional roller coaster for my entire family. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look where you are now. And I think, yeah, you know, I think so many people get, get so caught up in, and even the past, you know, you could be here right now and you could still be dwelling on this and you could still be focused on what was basically what was happening rather than seeing your future and where you what you can be and sharing your story and how that can help people. And, yeah. you, you know, what we all go through times and I think this is exactly why I wanted to have this podcast is we all go through times that are really tough. Like some obviously a lot tougher than others, but everyone to their own degree goes through challenges and points in their life where things are really hard. And it's when we get through that and we understand the path that that has essentially been given to us. Like you see that now as a gift because you are able to share that with others and you're able to help other people get through what you got through. And that that's so special and and you'll have that for the rest of your entire life and you'll be able to help so many people with that yet other people might be in exactly the same situation as you but might still be pushing it to the side and might still be closing it away because they don't even want they don't even want to give it any energy rather than giving it that energy to let it go and to use it as your power definitely Um, I remember I used to read a lot of um like motive, I guess motivational books, but just like reading other people's biographies, mainly athletes. And I started to notice that they throughout the book, there'd be all of these lows, but they'd land up with this amazing, uh, high, amazing success at the end. And so I developed this theory that I was like, if this is as bad as my life is going to get, I must have something amazing in my future. And I just kept holding on that. So it had to work out in the end. It had to work out. And, and it did, I got tied. <laughs> so yeah. What a, that's a, such a beautiful lesson. I love that. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anyone. I mean, it, it, 
it's it makes sense but if this is as yeah. bad as it's gonna get it's only like imagine what's gonna come from this that's so cool I yeah. love it <laughs> yeah thanks yeah I think I just I decided to start looking at adversity as a positive like I welcome it now because if something if I'm gonna face an obstacle well then I must be needing to change in some way to get to the goals I want so I welcome it I look at, you know, how can I change as a result of this negative situation yeah. and how is that going to help me in the long run to my really big, you know, 10, 15-year goals? Um, and it changes the way that you think because Absolutely. negative situations are no longer a negative Absolutely. as a whole. They are a challenge that you can overcome to be a better person and actually achieve what you really want out of life. Wise, wise words. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You're a wise 23-year-old, let's put it that way. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> So I'd love to know, like, if you're if you're talking to um, some maybe some of the children that you train or anyone, essentially, like what limiting beliefs did you manage to come through? And, and how would you help people with the same sort of limiting beliefs that you had? Um, I think just. That's hard. I think about that. I think that when I coach kids, I just decide that. I'm, I will take anyone who wants to learn. I won't just pick the kids that I think are going to be, I guess, quote unquote successful. And regardless of whether they are, um, you know, progressing quickly and showing signs of maybe becoming a, a state, national, international champion, I just choose to focus on the fact that this sport can build courage and build confidence that can be you know, that can affect their life past skating. And that's something I got from my second coach. She was so big on the fact that you have life outside of skating. And so no matter whether a skater wants to be a world champion like I did at six um, or whether they just they just want to learn how to skate backwards or they just want to achieve this one skill, we just take it one step of the time and choose to use that situation to build the confidence that's going to help us with the next obstacle, whether it's skating or not. And I think if I was ever to train a uh, skater that was ever going to go to the high levels like I did, I just I wouldn't do it on my own from the start. It would be a team effort of a group of people that I trusted because I know I'm not capable of taking someone that far on my own. I need help from other people that aren't even in the skating world. And so just understanding that I can't do it on my own, but making the decision that I'm going to use a team of people to help us all get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, so so essentially just knowing that if you want to achieve something great, that never to try and do it on your own, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and what, like, what was probably, I, I guess self-worth was probably your biggest limiting belief, right? You didn't think that you mm. were good enough. Yeah. Is that, that was probably your biggest limiting belief? Definitely. Yeah, I didn't think I was good enough. And the same way that I think, like, confidence and positivities from sport can affect every other every other area in your life I think sometimes the negatives can as well because I didn't feel like I had any worth as a skater and that just was a ripple effect into every other part of my life um and, and so instead of being able to just overcome it in one area then I would experience a negativity in another part of my life and that would just bring me back down so definitely self-worth but not just as a skater just in general right yeah okay and that I mean that makes sense doesn't it if you've got lack of self-worth in one area it's going to it's going to be the same all over the place yeah 
Um, yeah. I'd love to know what advice you'd be able to give people who struggle with self-worth. Um, I just think find something that you love and don't give it up, no matter what. Because if it makes you happy, it's gonna start. It's gonna help you feel like you're worth something. You get. Happiness when you're when you're happy, you feel good about yourself. And if we can foster or nurture a happy environment, you start to feel good about other things to do with yourself, your capabilities, what what you can do. So just just don't give it up. Find something you love and just never ever let anyone take it from you. And cool. for me, that was skating. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, obviously. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a tough one because you know you absolutely love skating but then skating essentially also made you feel like you weren't good enough, right? Yeah. Mm. And so like Definitely. I, I mean I'd love to know like how 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 did you really get through that a part of just essentially saying I quit? Like there's a I'm sure mm. that there's something inside you that made you go, you know what? I am I am worthy. I am amazing at this and not only do I love this but this is my world this makes me happy but I am damn good at it I don't need to live up the expectations of other people just because that's what they expect like did you have a turnaround moment yeah um my friend that I started coaching with in New Zealand Macarena she's very much she's a a very successful athlete in her own rights but so different to me in so many ways and she couldn't understand why I had this fear of failure and why everything was so overwhelming for me why I always felt like I was a failure because she was like but you're so good and I was like but I'm not she's like but but you are and so she I started opening up more to her and she started nurturing this sense of being in me and we just started working together I started helping her she started helping me and we formed a partnership and she became like my closest friend and she helped me see that I was good at being a coach and so I started to see that I could impact on other people and she made sure I understood that it was it was me that was doing that. I was the one creating the change in other people. I was the one helping other people. And so I had something to offer the world. So I was of worth. And and we just kind of went from there. And then when I had Ty and I had to really start focusing on, you know, giving myself worth and, and taking care of myself, it, it just kind of turned into where I am now. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing what happens when you sort of decide, you know, well, I am worthy to look after myself. And then you... Yeah like you your your whole everything shifts like I see it in my clients I see it when not only do they start looking after their nutrition but they start looking after their mindset like their whole body essentially just shifts and you just see something else that comes up and you're like wow where were you hiding before (laughs) like why didn't you just put yourself first (laughs) yeah that's pretty crazy um okay hun one of my um one of my last questions is, what's one of the scariest things you've ever done? Uh, packing up my entire life and moving to New Zealand on my own <laughs> at 21. <laughs> that was probably the scariest thing ever. <laughs> um, but just the best decision. I think even if I take skating out of it, just sometimes I think you need an, a complete environment change just to realize that something is a problem, but it, you can fix it. I don't think I would have ever got anywhere if I stayed in Melbourne because I was just like banging my head against the wall, getting absolutely nowhere. But changing my environment 
gave me an opportunity to change my outlook and then and then everything kind of followed yeah uh, I actually really agree and I I love like that about traveling as well like so many people mm. just so many people I know have sort of grown up in the same town stayed in the same town and never really left and I for yeah. me I'm just like <laughs> I, I can't quite understand how you've done that like with that like because not only does it bring you so much growth but it it makes you see the world from a, such a different point of view like you see how different people live you see you know, things that seem so important to you are so insignificant to other people and I remember when I first went to India and we were hiking in the Himalayas and I actually by the end of it you know I, I was wearing some hiking boots that were basically falling apart and there were these kids like walking around with no shoes on and I was like oh my god I'm walking around with a pair of shoes that I was just gonna chuck in the bin why don't I just give my shoes to some of these kids and I gave my boots to some some teenager and it was like the best thing that had ever happened in like you know the entirety of his life and yeah. I was just like oh my goodness something that is so insignificant to us that we were just you know things we we chuck things away all the time you know we get a hole in a, one of our t-shirts and we chuck it in the bin and I'm just like, man, if we thought differently because we had travelled and seen how other people live and and what you know what they do, playing around in the streets, you know, or enjoying a, a book just to keep you know to make sure that they're having fun with themselves, and we we stress ourselves out by so many things that are really not very important. Whereas when we sort of stay stuck in our little circle, it's so easy to focus on what's not working rather than when we see the world from a different perspective and going wow actually what on earth was I even worried about or thinking about you know definitely it's so true I think when you change your environment as you said you just get a completely different outlook on life and I love traveling because of that like the more places you go the more you can see that there's so much more to the world. There's so much more to life even that you yeah. never would have known. It's, it's the best, best experience ever. Yeah, agreed. Cool. So my last question is what's the <laughs> best advice that you can give our listeners? Hmm. <laughs> I think, I think welcome adversity. I would say resilience and everything, but I think just welcome adversity and instead choose to see it as an opportunity of growth rather as a rather than a period of negativity because I think it, it changes your outlook and it gives you the perspective to to grow from the situation as opposed to crumble so yeah that's probably my one thing and that does build resilience as well right that's, that's yeah pretty much what definitely resilience is so <laughs> mm. yeah <Awesome. laughs> wicked well thanks so much Han. that was great and I hope that you feel empowered and good about sharing your story as well I have no doubt that this is going to help and change some people's lives when they listen to it so thanks so much for sharing I'd, uh, thank you so much for having me on here you're welcome <laughs> I'd love to know do you want to share where people can find you um, if they want to touch base with you if they want to connect with you where can they find you Definitely. Um, I run a coaching business called Maya Fitness, so M-A-I-A. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook. Um, anyone that's wanting to start roller skating for the first time, um, it's a great time because we kind of can't leave our homes. Um, and I'm just posting like two or three tutorials every day to try and kind of give some kind of positivity 
as much as I can in the situation. So yeah, find me on social media. I saw that. I was like, oh, I wish I had a pair <laughs> of skates because I'd be doing this. Yeah, I've been lending mine out. I have so many pairs from like when I was younger. So if oh, I have, nice. if I find anyone that doesn't need skates but is my size, I'll go fix them up and drop them at their door so they can skate. <laughs> oh, nice. That's good. At least you're allowed yeah. to, to still drive to people's houses then. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Maybe point. not much longer though. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how we'll we go. See, we'll see. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Hannah. I hope you have a um, beautiful evening and I'll speak to you very soon. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and head on over to iTunes or your favorite podcast listener and give us a five-star review. Don't forget to join our free Facebook community called She's Unshakable, where we get to share our tips and tricks and experiences with building courage, resilience, and belief in ourselves. I look forward to meeting you in there.